Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your spirit that dwells in each one of us. Thank you, God, for your presence with us. Lord, I pray as we get into the Bible today that you open up the eyes of our hearts. God, let us see things and let us hear things today that will empower us to go forward and that will, God, enlarge the love that we have for you and help us understand more the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about uh, the last three weeks. I was away last week. Um, He did, actually. I was just going to say that. I don't want to embarrass him, but I think you did a fantastic job last week. And all the feedback I got... Yeah, let's give him a hand. And um, thing is, I found sometimes when you move outside your comfort zone, you discover gifts and talents and things that are hidden there that, for whatever reason, and, and I know my story was that I used to sweat profusely, literally shake. If I shared with you the story about the first time I talked in front of a group of people, um, it looked like I was having a medical episode, and that's not exaggerating. My muscles started twitching and everything, and 200 kids in a school auditorium laughed at me, and it was the worst experience of my life. And I remember saying to God that day, I will never, ever do anything like that again. And uh, so, you know what, but I worked out something. The devil kind of has a rough idea of what God's plan is for a human being as well. And so before we come to him, he probably sits back. And if I was him, I'd be sitting back going, okay, I've got an idea of what you can do when you, if you connect with God. So I'm going to make that thing become the thing you hate the most. And I'm going to try to get you so far away from that thing so that even if you do eventually connect with God, you'll still be too scared to step into your future and your destiny because of all these experiences along the way. That was my story. But when you break through it, you find gifts and talents and, and, and and, and God's hand in areas. And um, so I know that, uh, you know, sometimes it might feel like you're outside your comfort zone, but I want to tell you and all your family here are telling you that it, God's, God moves. So keep, keep going, mate. Keep going. It's awesome. Uh, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for the last three weeks before that, and we're looking at, basing it all around Luke chapter 4, where the Bible gives us this pattern with Jesus. It says that he was filled with the Spirit, And then it says he was then led by the Spirit. And then it says then he came out in the power of the Spirit. So there's these three three steps, this process that Jesus went through. Filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit. My experience has been that that's not just random Scripture verses. There's an order to that, and there's a process to that, that... that we need to first of all come to a place of embracing that we are filled with the Spirit. And we spent three weeks, if you weren't here, jump back on the Arise podcast on iTunes and you can hear that. But we spent three weeks going over this point of being filled with the Spirit because there's a lot of doctrines and ideas and thoughts out there. And I, I constantly bump into Christians who are second-guessing themselves. And what a, bad, what a sad place to be in to spend your whole walk with God second-guessing whether what he promised would happen has happened for you. Second guessing whether I have the Spirit of God. Because here's the thing, if I don't believe unequivocally that I have the Spirit inside of me, it actually makes it very hard for me to learn then how to be led by the Spirit. Because if I'm second guessing his very presence in my life, then I'm second guessing any leadings and promptings I'm getting. I've learned over the years to embrace the fact that I'm filled with the Spirit. And here's one thing that, that it did, it's done for me. 
now that I'm 100% convinced, regardless of what I feel, regardless of what you say, what a doctrine teaches, I don't care who the preacher is, I'm convinced by the Word of God that I'm filled with the Spirit. Because of that, I've learned to listen to that little prompting and that little voice of the Spirit on the inside of me. And I'm comfortable with that. And I've learned how God speaks to me and how God leads me. But if you don't ever believe that you're filled, it makes it very hard to move on to being led. And if you don't know how to be led by the Spirit, it's very hard for you to encounter the empowering of the Spirit. Because God's Spirit just isn't just happening because I click my fingers. It's because God moves into a space and a time to do something and he invites me to come on in with him. And I step into that space and then God does the miracles. God releases the power. God does all that stuff through me, but he uses human agents. So he needs human agents that are confident they're filled, that are open to being led, that will then take steps of faith, step into that space, and then God does the amazing things that God does. So we've been spending three weeks on being filled with the Spirit. And I'm hoping, and the feedback I've got is I'm believing that everybody here, you are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are filled with the Spirit of God. If you have repented of your sins, turned your heart to Jesus, put your faith in what you did on the cross, then the Bible says very clearly that he would send his Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, the promises for you and your children and your children's children, every generation after, that if you would repent and believe, I will send my Spirit and I will fill you with my Spirit. Whether you speak in tongues or not. Okay? Whether you speak in tongues or not. And if you're unsure about that, please go back to two weeks ago's podcast where I broke out of my normal preaching style and we actually went through 100 scriptures that show very clearly what this whole thing was about. I don't want to get into it again, but we're filled with the Spirit. If you're unsure, the end of today, I'm going to actually open up the front and I want to pray for some people after the service today. But I want to move on from being filled with the Spirit to being led by the Spirit. The Bible says that he was filled with the Spirit and then he was led by the Spirit. Can we just chuck that verse up on the screen there for us, please, Luke? Then being filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. The first thing that happened when he was filled was he was led. But I find it interesting, the place that he was led. Why was the first place Jesus was led into a wilderness? I mean, let's think about that for a second. Why would the first place that Jesus is taken into a wilderness. Let me just throw some thoughts out at you about a wilderness. And, and I'm sure as I say some of this stuff, you'll probably connect with a few of these thoughts, a few of the things that I'm saying. <laughs> because the wilderness has a very negative vibe about it. How often have you heard people describe a, an experience in their life that they're going through that's not nice and they'll refer to it as, oh, I'm in the wilderness. Anyone ever heard that? Or they're going through a period of time and I'm having a wilderness experience. Well, well, this phraseology comes from what we even read in the Bible about the wilderness. The wilderness is a barren place. It's a desolate type of a place. Yet Jesus was led by the Spirit first and foremost. First place that he took him was into the wilderness. It's not a nice picture when we read about wilderness experiences even with godly characters. You know, we can go through the Bible and Elijah went to a wilderness. He had this great uh, uh, victory. Uh, Elisha, sorry, it's a great... Elijah, sorry, had this great victory on Mount Carmel where all the prophets of Baal came. You can go back into to, uh, Kings and you'll read the story where the whole nation is worshipping these Baals, these foreign gods, and Elijah takes a stand for God and calls all the false prophets together and says, there's a dead cow there, there's a dead cow for me. You guys dance around your cow, call upon your God and let's see what he does. And they did it all day and nothing happened. Then Elijah goes, right here, here's what we'll do. We'll cover my dead cow with water and then we'll light it and boof, up it goes. 
And so God came down and answered my fire, showing that Elijah's God was more powerful than these other gods. He has this great encounter, and uh, then they take all the prophets of Baal and they kill them all, and the whole nation of Israel, biggest revival in the history of mankind. The whole nation turned back to God. And then, of course, this lovely lady called Jezebel gets her knickers in a knot and goes, hey, who do you think you are? I'm going to kill you. And he runs and he takes off and he has this wilderness experience. Isn't it funny? It's on the back of this great encounter with God. Why didn't he stand his ground and go, hey, you're going to kill me? Well, didn't you just see what happened? You want to get in my way in the middle of my God? You know, thousands of people killed. And then Jezebel, I'm going to run. But he had this wilderness experience. Moses had a wilderness experience, didn't he? Moses, he, he's called of God in the book of Acts. It tells us that. Stephen tells us that when he recounts the history of Israel in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen, speaking of Moses, says Moses knew that he was called of God to set these Israelites free. So what does he do? He finds an a, a, a Egyptian beating a, 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 a Jew. So he walks up to the Egyptian. He goes, come here. Boom, knocks him out and kills him. Thinking that the Israelites would go, yeah, he's our saviour. He set us free. The next day he bumps into two Jews. And one of the Jews goes, what, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? He panics. Goes, oh no, these guys aren't getting it. Bolts off and spends 40 years in a wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. Then he has this amazing encounter with a burning bush and comes back. So Moses had a wilderness experience. And many, many other biblical characters did their time in the wilderness. But when they went into the wilderness, when you read the story of Elijah, it's not, the wilderness is not somewhere you would pack your family up and take them on a holiday. That's the picture that we get in the Bible. And when you're in a wilderness, you're not there because you want to be there. How many people have said, Lord, send me to the wilderness? God, I want you to send me to a place that's barren, where I don't hear your voice, where I feel like you're not present, where I feel like you don't love me, where you don't care for me. Lord, bring it on! Nobody wants to go there. Why would God fill his son with his spirit, yet why do we have the record in the Bible, and it's not just Luke, why is it recorded in the Bible? Three of the Gospel writers make special mention that Jesus was then led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. What's, so, what's happening here? It doesn't seem to make sense. I love my kids. And, and it just is bizarre for me to think that I would then send you off to a place where you feel isolated from me and barren. And Why would I do that? It doesn't make sense. But yet this is exactly what happened to Jesus. And when he gets to the wilderness, what does he find? He doesn't find a leper to cleanse. He doesn't find a dead person to raise. He doesn't find deaf ears to open up and blinded eyes to unblock. He doesn't find a seat apart and impress the crowds. He doesn't find bread to break and multiply and feed the hungry. He gets into the wilderness and what does he find? The devil. The devil. Is this story twisting your brain even more? I mean, the more I think about it and read it, I go, God, what's going on here? What's happening here? He goes into this wilderness led by the Spirit and he encounters the devil. You know, some people, when you're in a wilderness experience, you think that it's a punishment for sin. You're going through this time and you feel isolated and, and distant from God and you're not hearing his voice and people actually sit there and they start second-guessing themselves. Well, am I in, is this a punishment for sin? Well, if the wilderness was a punishment for sin, God had no right to send Jesus there. The Spirit had no right to lead him there if it's a punishment for sin. The wilderness is not a punishment for sin. 
But I know so many people I've sat with and, they, and, and they're in that space and all they're doing is they're looking back and here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to work out what have I done wrong. If I can find out what I've done wrong and if I can fix what I've done wrong, then maybe I can get out of this place. You know, Maybe I can get out of this space. If I can just find out how I got myself in here in the first place. It has such a negative connotation to it. Yet I don't think the wilderness is a negative place. I don't think it has to be a negative place. I think what makes the wilderness so negative is we don't understand what God is doing in it. And because we don't understand what he's doing, we're not working with him. We're not embracing what he is trying to do and what he's trying to say. Let me, everybody I believe, every one of us, if Jesus was led into a wilderness experience by the Spirit, I believe this, every one of us have times and seasons in our life where we're led into our own wilderness journeys. And we're led there by God. And it's not a punishment for sin, because if it's a punishment for sin, Jesus would not have had any right to be led there. The second thing about it, it's not a punishment for sin. The second thing is this, if the Spirit led him in there, then that means the wilderness has meaning and purpose. There's meaning and purpose in that space. And if you're here right now and you're in what you would term a wilderness experience, let me tell you a couple of things. Number one, don't kick yourself up the backside. It's not necessarily a punishment for sin. Biblically, it's not a punishment for sin. Moses wasn't sent to the desert because of his sin. He ran to the desert. Elijah wasn't sent to the desert by God when he killed the prophet of Baal and Jezebel came. He ran to the desert. He went there, but God was waiting. And God met them. It's not a punishment for sin. And secondly, if you're in a wilderness experience now, you feel like you're there, guess what? There's meaning and purpose in it. So many people sit there in that space and they twiddle their thumbs and go, I just can't wait till this is over, then I'll get on with the real deal. You're in the real deal. As a matter of fact, you're in the most realest deal you could ever be in when you're in that space in life. You're going to learn the most important lesson of your entire Christian journey if you'll listen to God and you'll work with God. While you're in that space, you can learn a lesson so incredibly powerful that it will shape the rest of your Christian experience. I believe that with all my heart. I've been, been through several wilderness experiences in my life. One in particular I want to share with you in a second. It happened to me while I was a missionary. I've been saved. I'm in YWAM. I'm in central India. And I am uh, uh, you know, starting a ministry training centre. I'm seeing healings, signs, wonders, miracles. It's all happening through these little hands of mine. And I made a decision that I wanted to run away from God because I didn't understand what was going on in that space and in that time. So the wilderness is not a punishment for sin and there's meaning and there's purpose in it. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it, Mark writing of the same story of Jesus being led, it says this, it says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Interesting choice of words from Mark's perspective. That word drove, it's a, it's, it's a, a Greek word, it's ekbalo, E-K-B-A-L-L-A, and it literally means to, to thrust out, to push. There's a sense of violence and aggression about it. It's actually the same word that's used in Matthew 9, I think it is, where Jesus says that he sent out his disciples two by two. He sent them out with a mission and with a purpose and with a meaning. It's the same word used. It's also the same word used on many occasions when the Bible says Jesus cast a spirit out of a person. He would eck below the spirit. So there's not this passive, I'm just gently leading you through the daisies. No, this is going to happen. I'm going to push you into this. So in one sense, Jesus was pushed into this experience in the same way that many of us feel like we're pushed into that wilderness experience. We're not choosing it. We don't want it. 
we don't like it, it doesn't feel good. But God goes, it's so important to you, I'm going to push you. It's like trying to bath my dog with a flea shampoo. He doesn't want it. He hates it. He'll kick, he'll scratch. As soon as he sees me walk over towards the tap, he'll run away. And I've got to chase this little dog. And I've got to pick the dog up, but he's clawing at me. And I've got him in there, and I turn on the water, and he's trying to climb out, and water's going everywhere, and soap's going everywhere. Fleas are jumping everywhere. in my hair. I'm trying to wash him, but I've got to get the fleas out of my hair. And it's chaos and madness. If he just sits still and realise, I'm trying to help you. All I want to do is wash you. So the little fleas are gone. And you won't be doing this all day. Work with me, would you? Stop fighting against me. And that's what we're like sometimes when we go through those moments. We're fighting and we're kicking. And God knows that none of us want to go there. So he has to act below us. He has to thrust us. He has to drive us into those places because none of us, if we saw the brochure, <laughs> we would go, not going there. He wants to go to Greece. <laughs> you know, he wants to go to Wardell. Wouldn't do it. So if there's a purpose for the wilderness experience, what is it? What is it? It's funny how some things are so obvious yet so incredibly hard to see. The reason for the wilderness experience is this. When Jesus was in the wilderness, what happened? He was tested. What was he tested in? Here's the context. Jesus is driven into there. He fasts for 40 days. Now, I don't know about you, but after 40 days, I'm tired, I'm grumpy, I'm hungry. I'm not in a good space. I'm at a place where my defences are down, I'm weak. I'm probably going to be very easy to overpower. And after that, the devil comes to him and tests him. And you know what? We can look at it and go, yeah, he tested him with the word of God and he threw the word at him and Jesus threw the word back and all that stuff. But you know what the bottom line of the test was? Do you trust the character and nature of God? That's all it was. Do you trust in the goodness of your father? Bow to me and I'll make it happen for you. You don't have to do it his way. Do you trust the character and the nature of God? We sit in church and we think, oh, that's a no-brainer. Of course we do. But hang on a second. Hang on a second. Do we? Do we really trust the character and the nature of God? Do we really believe that our God is good? Or is he only good when good things are happening? Do we... I was, I was, it was interesting last night. Chloe wanted to sit down and watch that movie, The Shack. And I, the, the timing was really good with what I was preaching on today. And there's that scene. Those of you who haven't seen the movie, I won't spoil it, but there's a scene in a cave where this particular gentleman who's had a, a lot of rough things happen to him, he's standing there and he's talking to wisdom. And he starts to tell wisdom, this is what should be happening. And wisdom gets down off this throne called the judgment seat and says, right now, will you become the judge? You go up there, you, you obviously know better, you become the judge. So you don't know all the ins and outs and you don't know everything and neither do I. But how often do we make... Ju- and, and you know who we judge? We judge God. We make judgments on God all the time. Because many of us have developed a faith, not in who God is, we've got faith in what God does. When God does the right thing, we love him, we hallelujah him, we high-five all the spirits in heaven. But when God's not doing what we want, we're praying for something that's not getting answered. 
God, something's happening around us that we're looking at and we're going, I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel good. I'm not the centre. That thing's making me feel like I'm not the centre of the universe for a moment. And we begin to get angry and mad at God. Why? Because he's not doing what we want him to do or what we think he should do. Our faith should never be in what God does. It should be grounded and rooted in who God is. What God does will change from time to time, moment to moment, day to day. Why did we pray for this person over here for cancer and they were healed? Why did we pray for this one and they died? I've got a choice to make. I can get all excited and think God was really good over here in this space. God, you, were, you failed or you are bad. I, God, you are trustworthy over here in this space. God, this proves to me you're not trustworthy over here. And our faith goes like this. Because we don't get it. See, when you're in the wilderness, it doesn't feel good. When you're in the wilderness, you feel isolated. When you're in the wilderness and you're being tested and tempted and your prayers aren't being answered and God's not performing up to your standards, when you don't have the goosebumps, when it's not all falling in your lap, let me go a step further when it's not all making sense. See, we don't realise it, but we want to be God. We want to be God. We wouldn't say that. None of us is going to stand and go, I want to be God. But the fact that we want to understand every single thing he does and until we understand it, we can't trust him. Well, what, what is that? That's just we want to be completely in control. Well, hang on, what's the definition of God? Well, he's the ultimate control, isn't he? He's one that's ultimately in control. So, you know, I want to work it all out and understand it all so that I can basically play God. That's why I hate going to Kurong and that and the shelves of the five steps and the four ways and the three... If that's how small your God is, we're worshipping different gods. My God's so much bigger than that. My God actually is in control. My God actually does call the shots. He does design the way things are going to happen. And no matter what happens in the world around me, my God's good. See, the activity of God will change. The character and nature of God will not change. If you've got your faith in what God does, you will, you're setting yourself up for a fall. If you have your faith grounded in the character and nature of God, you'll stand forever. That's, that's a sort of solid, firm foundation upon which you build the Christian life. Faith in what God does is shifting sand. It'll collapse. Why do you think the children of Israel, they loved God one minute. They'd walk around with him and they're high-fiving. Why? Because manna came from heaven or water from a rock or the Red Sea's parted or something and they love God and soon as God didn't do what they wanted what did they do? They grumbled they complained they whinged against God so God would come down in his grace and his mercy and his goodness and he would do something else and what would they do then? Yeah, we love you, God, we'll follow you. Then something happened they didn't understand or they didn't like they didn't want and all of a sudden oh, you brought us out here to kill us God doesn't care for us Moses would go back to God God would go, okay, let's do this let's do this Let's be gracious, let's be good, let's see, you know. And in the end, guess what? They had their faith in what God did and what happened to them in the end. None of them walked into everything God had for them. Because if your faith's going to rest upon the performance of God, well, God's going to change what he does and where he does it at times because he's God. And because he sees a much bigger picture than you or I ever can. We like to think we understand everything. We don't. We're flat out understanding our own hearts, let alone the rest of the world. So we need to find peace and rest in the character and the nature of God. When you, when, when Moses, the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 7, I think it is, Psalm 103, verse 7, it says that 
There you go. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. In other words, Moses knew the character of God. The children of Israel knew the activities of God. So they put their faith in that. All they cared about was what God did. And God was judged based on every performance. God was judged based on every performance. See, part of the beauty of the wilderness is this. God's not performing. You feel isolated. You feel like you're not hearing. You feel like nothing's happening. Guess what? God's not performing for you. Do you still love him? Can you still trust him? Is he still good? Because if you can find and believe and stand on the goodness of God in a wilderness, then you'll, you'll stand on the goodness of God anyway. Because it's the wilderness where people walk away. It's the wilderness where people throw away the promises of God, throw away their destiny, throw away their future, throw away their faith. How many of you people have known people who put their faith on the performance of God? They went somewhere, got a goose bump, hair stood up on end, they got a prophecy, a word, whatever. God was great, I love him. And over the next couple of months, God's not giving them prophecies. He's not giving them goosebumps, nothing like that. And two months down the track, they're going, oh, God's not as good as I thought he was. I'm out of here. And off they go. Because God's not performing for me. Well, in a wilderness, guess what? God's not performing for Jesus here. God's not performing for anyone. And when God's not performing, guess what? The, the, the devil gets into that space and he starts to test your faith. Do you really believe? If I take away all the bells and the whistles, if I took away all the blessing, if I took away all the... Would you still believe in your God? Do you still think he's good? And it's a time for us to relook at our faith and go, well, hang on a second, what is the basis of my faith? Is it what God does or is the basis of my faith actually who God is? Because one is shifting sand and one is a solid rock. One of them will keep my faith going up and down, up and down. I'll be walking with the Lord in 50 years' time. I'll be in the same spiritual place. I won't have grown at all. The Bible's very clear on that. Growth has nothing to do with time. Read the, read the, read the letters. Growth has nothing to do with time. Or will I build it on the character and nature of God? And in 50 years' time, be looking back going, wow, I can't believe what the Lord has allowed me to see, what he's allowed me to do, where I've been. It hasn't been a series of emotional up and down, up and down. No, no, I've been like this with God because I trust my God. And God seeks people that trust him. Don't just trust what he does, but they trust who he is. They trust the person of God. When I was 19, I had this experience and I went to... Uh, you can you jump back up there if you want. Um, I was in India and here's what happened. I've got a whole bunch more stuff here, but, but again, we had such great worship and that everything seems to go so much longer. 19 years of age. Uh, sorry, 21 years of age. 22 years of age. I'm in India. Here I am. I'm over there. 22 I was. And I'm over there and I am starting a ministry training centre for youth of the mission in central India. There's no, no work over there. So we go into this place, 9 million people all Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists. And when I go in there, 22 years of age, I've only been saved for a few years. We land, we go, we find a place, we rent this little house under this Indian family, Christian family, and we just pray, God, what are we going to do? We don't know. So we just pray, God, what are we do? There's five of us. And before you know it, we make a couple of contacts with some pastors, so they start taking us out. Well, why don't we go to the slums? Let's go out there, let's just do some open-air preaching and preach, and we did. We went out there, we preached and prayed. And amazing things started to happen. Everyone I put my hands on and prayed for got healed. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm being dead set serious. I would walk up to somebody. It was me and a friend of mine, Justin, from America. And we would go out in pairs and we would go and pray. And we would go and we would lay hands on, 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 on people that couldn't see, blinded eyes, and all of a sudden they go, I'm seeing. 
We were laying hands on people that hadn't got out of bed for years. They're laying there, paralyzed, whatever. We're laying hands and we're saying in the name of Jesus and they're getting out of bed. People coming up to us, they've been hunched over for 10 years. We're praying for them and bang, they're straightening up right in front of our eyes. People are getting excited about God. They're giving their hearts to the Lord. Churches are being planted in these villages and in these slums. And it was just amazing. I felt like the best way to describe it was I was King Midas. You know the story of King Midas? Everything you touch turned to gold. That's what I felt like. I felt like, 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 like the spiritual King Midas. Just before I went over there, a similar thing happened for me in Brisbane. Why are we in Brisbane? Everything I prayed for happened. I prayed for money. God would provide money miraculously. I prayed for healings. Anything I prayed for, I got. It got to the point where all the people on the YWAM Brisbane base would say, if you need something, go to Alan. When he prays, it happens. I'm not joking. That's how bizarre it was. And, and everyone would come to me. I've got this need. Would you pray? Outreach teams that haven't got you know, tens of thousands of dollars would come to me. And I would pray for them. And, and a couple of days later, money would arrive in the letterbox for them. Felt pretty good. Felt pretty important. God must really, really love me. I didn't realise it at the time, but this is what's happening. I'm building my faith in what God's doing. God's doing all these great things. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't God good? And I get over to India and I'm praying and all this stuff's happening. One one night, me and Justin, we sat down because we got a really good relationship with each other. And we had a serious talk and here's what we said. We started talking about where are we at as people? Where's our heart at? Have we got the character to handle this? Because if this was happening, if, if, if what was happening there was happening in Brisbane with all the miracles and healings, I would never have made India. I would have been on the speaking circuit. I would have been on Oprah and Dr. Phil and all these talk shows because it was just that outrageous what was happening. I'd be some big wig guy travelling the world, you know, buying my jet planes. So we sat down and we said, look, where are we at? If, have we got the character to handle this? Because this is pretty wild. We just so happened to be in central India and nobody's picking up on it yet, but this is amazing. And we both came to this conclusion. We said, we don't know. Stupid to ask us, because the heart is deceitful above all things. So let's take it to the Lord in prayer. So we did. We sat down that night and we prayed and we said, God, if you can see in our hearts that our character is not ready to handle this sort of stuff, if this at any point is going to take us off, off kilter, Father, we're asking you to, to stop it. And we meant it with all of our heart. Amen. We went to bed. We got up the next day. We went to a village. We did an open-air preaching. We called people forward to pray for them. Here we go again. This is, this is, this is bread and butter now. This is not hard at all. Lady came up like this. In Jesus' name, be healed. Stand up, lady. Can't. Oh, okay. In Jesus' name, be healed. What about now? No, I can't. So, oh, well, that's okay. Jesus did it. Just believe in faith. Just go away and your faith will you know, make you whole. We're trying to still be spiritual about it. Next one came forward, we prayed nothing. Next one, nothing, 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 nothing happened. Rest of the day, this went on for a week, two weeks, three weeks, but three weeks, I was over it. I was over it. I used to go downtown, there was a group of young kids that were from the slums and they would come up to my motorbike and when I'd go shopping, they would polish my bike and guard it like guard dogs. And I used to give them uh, uh, a little bit of money, but then I found out their old man had drink it. So then I started buying them shoes and stuff. They'd watch my bike and I'd take them over and buy new shoes. They had no shoes. Now I found out uh, one day I saw their old man selling the shoes to get drink money. So I thought, well, it's not there for what can I do? So what I used to do is I used to go do my shopping, come back, and there was an ice cream parlour there. I'd take all the kids to the ice cream parlour, buy them all an ice cream. We'd sit on the step. They would laugh at me because I, I couldn't really get them and they would, I would laugh at them. They couldn't get me. But it was kids being kids and I loved it. It was the highlight of my time. We'd have our ice cream for half an hour, then I'd go off to my work and they'd go back to begging. 
When I first started, I loved it. I was, I was privileged. Thank you, God, that I get the chance to do this. I'm so blessed. Then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there after all this stopped, and I'm going, God, this isn't fair. These kids didn't ask to be born to an alcoholic parent. These kids didn't ask to be born in, 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 a, in, in India and live this kind of a life. That's not their fault, God. Hang on a second. If it's not their fault, God, God, it's actually your fault. Why did you let them be born here? God, why did you let this alcoholic man have... God, why did you, why did you God, why did you, God? And I started blaming God for all of this stuff. This went on for about four months and my heart got bitter and bitter and bitter and harder and harder to the point where I decided I don't want you anymore, God. I didn't tell the team I worked with. Here's what I did. I jumped on a bus. I went from central India up to Nepal. When I got to Nepal, I didn't tell the couple of people I was travelling with. They thought we were doing a visa run. Every six months we do a visa run, come back. I said to them, you go to the embassy. I'll go this afternoon. I've got to go and do something. I went down to the airport. I booked a ticket and I flew out of Kathmandu back to Australia. Didn't tell anyone. When I got to Bangkok Airport, I went to the music store back when they had cassettes and I had a little Walkman. And I went into the cassette shop and I bought all, I went through and I found all these artists and I read the lyrics and I thought, God would hate that, God would hate that band, God will hate that band. So I bought them. I put them in and I played them all the way from Bangkok back to Brisbane. All this music that I thought would, would make God hate me because if I listen to it, God's going to hate me. And then I landed here and a friend picked me up from Brisbane Airport and drove me back down to Ballina. And I, I moved in with my sister. She was living in Ballina at the time and I stayed with her for a bit. And you know what I did for two weeks? I put my Walkman on and I walked up and down the back laneway between uh, River Street and Tamar Street. There's a lane there. I just walked up and down eight hours a day pumping this music into me. I was so angry at God. And I'd made the decision, I don't love you, I don't like you, you're not good, you're not trustworthy, you're not faithful. You're none of that stuff. God, I don't want nothing to do with you. And if I keep listening to this stuff, you'll hate me. You know what really wigged me out about it? Was as I would walk, I knew. I can't tell you how I knew, I just knew. About two steps behind me and a step to the left, God was walking. I cannot tell you how I know that. I just know that he was. And, he's walking, and, every, and, and I would get angry. I would walk and I would stop. And I would lean over and I'd say, leave me alone. And I was serious. Leave me alone. You're not good. How can you this? And how can you that? How can... And you know what he would do? I just knew it. God would stop when I stopped. He would fold his arms. And here's what he would say to me. You'll get over this. And when you do, I'll be right here. This went on for two weeks. Finally, a mate of mine came down from Brisbane. They got wind of what had happened. And a guy in Brisbane comes down, sits down with me. We have a bit of a chat. And I broke. He's trying to ask me what's going on. And I just said, look, I don't get it. Because I was, I was theologically trained in my, my days to believe that in the three steps and the four ways and the all this stuff. If I just do this, God will do that and it all works out like that. It's all formulated, you know. And all of a sudden, the formula didn't work. All of a sudden, it wasn't happening how I thought it should happen. And so I judged God as being wrong. Not me. It wasn't me. It was God. He's not trustworthy anymore. Why? Because something bad happened, so you can't trust God. No understanding that I don't have the full picture. He does. No understanding that my faith was never on the character and nature of God. It was on what he did. So my faith was always like this. And I judge God good, bad, worthy, unworthy, whatever. And I was sitting on the river in Ballina, crying, crying when I broke and just saying, God, I don't get it. And that's when he took me to Psalm 103, verse 7. And the Lord said that to me. He said, you know what? He said, Moses knew my character. That's why he could trust me when the food was there, when it wasn't there. Moses could stand there while the Red Sea was not parted and it was level and the Egyptians were coming. And the children of Israel, who were riding this works thing, start accusing him. Moses could stand there and go, no, no, God is good. Watch and see the deliverance, what's going to happen. 
They'd whinge about the food. Moses wouldn't join in a whinge. He'd go back to God and say, God, and God would supply. They'd whinge about the water. God would supply. Moses knew the character and nature of God. You know where he learnt it? Probably 40 years in the backside of a desert, trying to make things happen in his own strength. Here I am, I'm the man. Bang. Come follow me, people. I'll set you free. 40 years later. It's interesting. He thought he could do it then. 40 years later, here he is arguing with God, going, God, I'm a man of not great speech. I can't do this, God. I can't do this. He learned to trust God. And that's the beautiful thing about the wilderness. It's, it's a place where God is doing more than you will ever understand in the moment. In hindsight, you will look back. You will look back in hindsight and you will see that God did more in that moment than probably most other times of your life. That's how it works. Because that's where the foundation of your faith is built, is in those moments and those times. And if you get the foundation right, you'll build a really, really strong faith walk with God. You get that foundation wrong, you are going to live your life in a cycle, trust me. You'll go round and round the mountain, and many of you, you won't even make it to all that God has for you. Because God's good whether you like it or not. God's good whether you feel it or not. God's good whether you understand it or not. God's good whether you're getting blessed or not. God's good. That's what the Bible teaches I want to pray uh, for some people this morning. Um, if there's anybody here and you're going through one of those periods, here's the thing, just because you know that doesn't make it easier. Just because we understand it doesn't make it any easier. I love Caleb and Joshua. They're a great example of a couple of people that were in a wilderness experience. You ever, you ever thought about that, Caleb and Joshua? In the book of Numbers, I think it's chapter 12, where they're right on the, you know, the, the promised thing, it was an 11-day journey. Didn't need to take 40 years. Here's another thing. The wilderness is not determined by God time frame-wise. He doesn't determine that. He doesn't say it's going to be this long and that long, whatever. That was meant to be 11 days. Then they went in to scout out the land. Remember God said, go and check it all out. It's, it's all good. And they went in, they came back out. And that's when they all rebelled and whinged and complained. They said, no, and God said, I've had a gutful. I've been so merciful and so gracious and so compassionate and shown you sign after sign. And I can understand that. I mean, if I parted seas, turned rivers to blood, gave you frogs, gave you locusts, killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, let you walk out with all the money, I'd, I'd go after a while go, come on, what else can I show you? What else can I do? You're never going to trust me, are you? Wouldn't matter what I did, you're not going to trust me. Even if somebody was to raise for the dead, you wouldn't trust me. But I feel for Caleb and Joshua because they were also part of that generation. But here's the, here's the thing. God said to Caleb and Joshua, you guys will make it because there's a different spirit and you're going to get there. I wonder if Caleb and Joshua went, oh, that's just great. We're going to make it, but we're going to have to wait another 40 years because of these suckers. You ever think that? I think if I was them, I'd be brassed off. I would be so brassed off. I would be so annoyed. Because of what they did, I've got to wait around here another 40 years. Just let us two go then. We'll take them on. you be with us. But no, they had to wait 40 years. But here's the thing. I think when you understand what the wilderness is about, time no longer matters. You're not sitting there going, I can't wait till this is over. Because you know what? Whether it finishes in a day, a month, a year, ten years, you're standing on a firm foundation going, you know what, it doesn't matter. Because God, you're good. God, you're good. Everything else is secondary. Father, I just pray uh, right now, Lord, for anybody that is here, God, that... Uh, Lord, might feel like they're in that dry place, God, where it feels like you don't care for them. Lord, it feels like you're not listening to them. Or maybe it feels like you have distanced yourself from them, God. They're wrestling, maybe asking the questions, what have I done? 
How do I fix this? As if it's some kind of problem. Lord, I pray right now, God, take heart. Because even Jesus was led there because it serves an incredible purpose of reshaping and redefining our faith. Lord, I want to thank you, God, that you're good whether we see it or not. God, you're not good because I decide you are. No, you're good because you are. You're not righteous because I decide you are or I think you are. You're righteous because you are. You're just and trustworthy, not because I think you are, not because we decide you are, but just simply because you are. And Lord, I pray that each of us here, Father, we would take great comfort in that. And as we go out from this place, that Lord, we would build our faith, not on the activities and actions of God. God, that will change from day to day, time to time, person to person, Lord, but we trust you in that. But God, I pray we would build our faith on your nature and your character because you are good and you are trustworthy and you are faithful and you are righteous and you are lovely and your face is for us, God. And Lord, I pray for the next seven days, Lord, let us share that love, that goodness, that grace, that mercy, that righteousness with somebody outside here that doesn't know it yet. God, orchestrate the situation. We're talking about you, Holy Spirit, leading us. Well, lead us to the right people, to the right places at the right time to share the goodness of God. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We're finished, but I did feel this morning that I want to leave some space open at the front here. If there's anybody here and and you feel like you're in that situation, maybe some of what I'm talking about, you relate to it. You go, you know what, I feel that. I feel isolated. I feel like God doesn't care. I feel like he's not listening. I feel like I'm in that wilderness space. I really want to pray for you this morning. Like I said, it's one thing to understand it. And I think that's that's the first step to moving forward is to first understand that space. Understand that space. And I want to pray. We want to get our, our, our leaders up here. We want to pray for you. Pray that the Holy Spirit will help you. Not just walk out of here and in two hours forget about it and have your lunch. But I really want you to embrace it. And start to get your eyes on the right things. Not what God's doing, but who God is. And like I said, it's easier said than done, but we would love to pray with you. That's our part. That's how we can support you in that. So, finished up. Thanks for coming. Hopefully next week, prayerfully, we will have the air cons in place. Just... Um, yeah, we'd love to pray for those, those, uh, those people. And just during the week too, I'll just let you know, just continue to pray. We're, we're, still, we're still believing for a little more. We're almost there. We're still be believing for a little more, but we've stepped out in faith and these guys are installing it and uh, we're still a few thousand short. But God's good and he's got us this far and he'll get us the rest of the way. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. If, if, you, if you're here, let's pray. If you're, you're not, feel free to go. Just respect the space up front if anybody comes up for prayer. We'll catch you later.